Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the John Kime Report wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by Penn State wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield as we discuss Washington's first-round pick, Jahan Dotson. I've talked to a number of coaches about the draft picks, so we plan those out over the next few weeks. Taylor, join us from the airport, so I beg your indulgence when you hear the gate agent sometimes talking over the loudspeaker, but Taylor was able to share some good insight into what he says Washington is getting in Dotson. Obviously, it's a guy who knows Dotson well. It was his coach. So who's going to say positive things about him? Doesn't mean you dismiss all that he says. He also spent a lot of time with him the past two years and knows where he's grown and what he can do better than anybody. Before I play my conversation, a couple things. So I told you last time to keep an eye on linebacker Blake Martinez, a guy Washington liked a couple years ago when he was a free agent. There was some question or perhaps some hope here that the Giants might cut him after he tore his ACL last season. I think there was some wonder about where does he fit. But after doing some poking around, it doesn't sound as if that's going to happen. So I wouldn't pay much attention to him at this point unless something really changes. That means Washington will have to wait and see what options exist when it's ready to add another another linebacker. And as I told you the other day, they went out and signed a receiver slash kick returner, but it's not going to be a guy who's going to be a big threat from scrimmage. But if they're going to sign some of these other guys, what they want to do first, especially at some key positions, is see what they have internally first. How does Percy Butler handle what they what the Buffalo nickel role would be? Um, again, you're, not, you're only going to see so much, but they'll be able to tell based on what they're teaching in the classroom and how he's taken to the field what he might be able to handle as a rookie, and that will then determine where they go with certain certain moves. Same is true at linebacker. It's funny because what I've heard this season with the linebackers has kind of run the gamut from wanting to keep Cole Holcomb outside and definitely wanted to get somebody inside to now hearing how much coaches think Holcomb has progressed inside. It's possible they knew it might be difficult to find a guy they liked, so they're just trying to sell Holcomb, whether it's to the fan base, whether it's to themselves, whether it's to Cole, or maybe they really believe it. It would have been hard to justify drafting a linebacker in the first round after taking Jamin Davis last year, 19. What they can also, some truth to his development. Um, also, I mean, he did play better at the end of the year. Was he an all-star? No. But, and again, I kept hearing all along that they felt that feeling was he was better outside. So I'm not going to dismiss what I heard then either. And we'll have to just say, let's see how he progresses if they don't make any other moves there. I think they're just going to, again, wait and see who might become available. The reality is Davis must progress. If he and Holcomb progress, then they'll be okay at the position. They would just have to add depth. That's a definite. If they don't progress, we're going to be talking about this position next offseason as well. I do think that Holcomb, again, has taken steps. So I feel pretty good there that he'll at least be a solid player for them. Davis is the one who's got to really take a big step. It's funny because they had four picks in the first three rounds last year, and only one of them really looks like he's a certain future solid starter in that second round tackle, Sam Cosby. Now they did get um, tight end John Bates in that draft too. He was not in those first four picks, which are the first three rounds, but Bates looked like he's going to help for a while as well. There's some thought with Davis that he will be a late bloomer, which makes taking him at 19 overall 
kind of a tough decision because he might not hit his stride for another year. It doesn't mean he can't play well this year. doesn't mean he wouldn't take a step. But just that instead of expecting a big leap and forward, maybe they're going to take another step forward and that leap comes the next year. I don't know. Um, you know, that's kind of what he did at Kentucky. And I know there was some sense of that when he came out, that it might take him a little minute to get going. Um, but the other, you know, the other ones in that group, St. Juice, Benjamin St. Juice, Deami Brown, St. Juice looked like he could help at corner as a, as a, certainly as a reserve, if nothing else, then got hurt too many times with the concussions, bad situation for him that obviously ended his season. So now we'll see what he does. Brown has to make plays this year. Again, he did make some strides at the end of the year, but we're still only talking, we're not talking about big games. We're just talking about a couple of nice catches or nice plays on special teams. Got to do a lot more this year. Um, if Davis hits, then I think this, he has a higher ceiling than anybody they've drafted the last two years because of his size and athleticism. It's really good. I think this year's first four picks will help more um, than, the, than last year's group did. I don't know if anyone has that ceiling Davis does because, again, the size athleticism situation. But collectively, I do think Washington added some very solid players, and you always need that. If you only add one solid player, it's hard. If you add three or four, that's pretty darn good, and it makes your team that much better. And I do think that, like I said, I don't think that Dotson and, and you know Mathis and Robinson are going to be – you know, they only have a, a low ceiling. I think there's a good ceiling there. I think they have a higher floor than last year's group, though. And I think that's pretty good. And I think it's necessary. You don't want to have two draft. Like, we'll see how this this last year's draft class progresses. But you don't want to have two draft classes in a row that that where they don't get a lot from them in that first year, especially with those high picks. Can't do that again. I'll be talking to Alabama beat reporter Mike Rodak about Fidari Mathis and Brian Robinson in an episode next week. I watched film of Robinson the other day. I think you should make for a solid duo with Antonio Gibson. Now, Gibson has more explosiveness. He's a little bit faster. Robinson was like a 4-5-3 guy. Gibson's in that 4-3-5 range. Um, so he's definitely faster. Robinson offers consistency. He's, a, he's more experienced, I think, at, certainly at that position. Knowing when not to string plays out, and how to get extra yards. I also saw one, I saw back-to-back runs that he made against Georgia in the, in the, in the title game. And I put those up on Instagram. If you want to go check that out at, um, at John Kime ESPN, but I put those up there back-to-back runs from the, from their own inside the 10. And the first one, he got like two yards, but it should, he almost lost one. He got hit right away, was able to keep his legs going and drove the pile and got a couple yards on the next play. It looks like he helps the tackle out. The tackle got, I don't know if he was supposed to seal his guy inside. That looks like where Robinson's path was going, but he saw how the tackle was engaged with the defensive end. Starts to widen, also gets the, the defensive back to widen as well. Cuts back inside, breaks several arm tackles. He got about, I want to say about 15 yards, but just two really good solid solid runs. That's the, You can win with solid runs. Gibson offers the explosiveness. But I think Robinson get, can get you some of that as well. And so that will be a that would be a good thing for them. Um, I like that he stays low through the hole for the most part. Saw some runs where he did that, where it led to some arm tackles or missed tackles. Um, saw him catch the ball and look solid in protection the couple games that I could watch. I'd want to see more of that to form a strong, strong opinion of there. But I liked how he attacked defenders as a in, in protection, didn't hesitate, moved his feet well for the most part when blocking outside. 
Um, he is not, like I said, he's not a burner, but he protects the ball well and he moves the chains. And I think he's a guy who can definitely help. Revere said it after the Ron Revere said it after the draft, but he reminded everyone how in Carolina he had a two-headed rushing attack with D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. And he's kind of hoping to recreate some of that here. And what that what that does is if something happens to Gibson, you're able to continue going with a certain style of offense that you really have a hard time doing now. And so again, a good thing for them. Gibson is not best as a 25 carry guy. So this is going to help him, I, I believe, depending on how, how everything shakes out. And I know there was concern over Gibson's fumbles last year with, with the coaching staff as well. Keep this in mind. Gibson did not fumble as a rookie. And in his last nine games last year, he fumbled once. That early stretch, though, wasn't good as he fumbled four times, losing two. The rest of the time, he's been pretty good with the ball. In the last two years, 12 backs have carried the ball at least 400 times. In that group, he ranks third with the most fumbles with five. Last year in the first seven games, he fumbled again four times, most by a running back. But again, one time after that. So I think we're going to find out this year, does he really have a fumbling problem? Was that an aberration? Um, or did he learn something in that stretch that, that maybe he, he certainly was able to get better at and make him a better back that he didn't? learn any lessons from as a rookie so you know we'll see but I think I'm not going to assume that he's that he's this big time fumbler because he, it was again it was a seven or eight game stretch that where he was bad with it but the rest of the time here he's been pretty good so we'll see which one was real the fun thing is we get to see Robinson and the other rookies in action on Friday at our one day being able to watch the rookie minicamp there's not a whole lot we can gauge from the workouts it'd be helmet helmets and um and shorts but there will be some observations to make. We get maybe 90 minutes to watch practices, then we talk to guys after. So it's really hard to focus on a lot of guys. If you try to focus on too many, I don't think you're going to learn enough about enough guy, about some guys. You can't watch one or two plays and think you have a handle on someone. Anyone who does so isn't being honest about things. If you see a guy make a play, you say, hey, I was only able to watch him one time, but that's one time he watched, made this play, and on this play he did this. That's great. But it's hard to make a full throated full-throated opinion on a guy if you're only able to watch him a couple of times so you got to be careful there so I'm just so I'm my job here is I'm going to watch the main players there's going to be a time to watch the undrafted later on for now my focus will be on the players I know who have an excellent chance not only to make the team but to contribute this year anyway that's it for me after this break I'll be back with Penn State wide receivers coach Taylor Stubblefield you join me from the airport as you will be able to tell where did Jahan Dotson progress the most? And why does Stubblefield say Dotson has such a high football IQ? Plus, a couple throwback receivers Stubblefield once played with in training camp, whom he says Dotson shares some traits with. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Penn State wide receivers coach Taylor Stubblefield. I appreciate you joining me because I want to give Washington fans a sense of Jahan Dodson, what this team is getting in him. And you know him very well, having coached him the last two years. So what is Washington getting in Jahan Dodson? Uh, you know what? You're going to get somebody who's consistent, uh, low maintenance, high production. He's, you're, you're getting a guy who is highly competitive. I mean, he is highly competitive and you won't even know it. Um, and you're getting a sure-handed dude that has the ability to be very explosive. So um, he, he has a unique personality that I think he, he has this calm demeanor that yet he, he is 
he has done such a tremendous job in the last couple of years of growing into this, uh, growing into his himself and, and, and his personality where I think just the fans are just going to love him. I, I know kids are going to look up to him and, and I'm excited to see what he does. You bring up the competitiveness. Where do you see that? Because like some, it's almost sounds like a sneaky competitiveness, but where did you see that um, the most? When I coached him hard, when I when I got in his face, when I challenged the heck out of him, um, and, and and he and he took it, and he took it, and he responded. That that's where I saw it. You know, it, it is um, he's not going to be this dude that's talking a bunch of trash. He's not going to be this guy that's going to flaunt what he does. But in terms of he, uh, I remember there's one game in the middle of the season where he either either dropped the pass or or could have done something a little bit better. He, he, he thought about it for a moment, then he came back like a player two later, in not in a boastful way, but in a way that was somebody who has closed the door on something that bad happened and said, Coach, come to me again. Give me the ball again. And, and, and like I say, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't in a way that was like, hey, you know, look at me, come and ball. It wasn't that. It was, I, I thought about it, I closed the door, I see what I need to fix, and, and, and let me have another crack at it. And you say you get in this face a little bit. I mean, when you first got there a couple of years ago, you know, you don't know these guys. So do you remember the yeah. first time you got in his face and how he responded and what it was about? Yeah, it, 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 you know, I'm a real big route guy. You know, um, we're, we're at Penn State. We're dealing with uh, some of the best athletes uh, in the country. So it's how can you be a difference maker? How can you use your speed? How can you use your body control? How can you look at the defense and figure out exactly what they're trying to do so that you can uh, run your route accordingly? And so I had to do something with a, a, a misread on a route and something that had probably, he had probably already ran four or five times and done it perfectly. And then he got to a time where it wasn't, wasn't, he didn't do it the way that, that, that he should have done. And he recognized it. And it was also an opportunity for me to set an example for the room too, that yes, Jahan Dotson can get coached hard and respond uh, accordingly and uh, uh, respond appropriately. And then about the demeanor. How important was that to the rest of that room? Because, you know, you came in there, they lost KJ Hamler. It's a new group except for Jahan. How important was that demeanor and what, what was he like? Well, in, in, in all reality, in 2020, nobody really knew who Jahan was. You know, like you said, KJ Hamler left. And so it was like, who, who, who's, who's going to be in Penn State room? You got this one guy named Jahan who has a chance to be somebody, but what is he? So that goes again to just his competitiveness. He was like, okay, yes, KJ left. He was committed and determined to, to prove himself. And so it was important. It was, it was probably equally important this 2021 season because after 2020, he had kind of uh, proven himself to be one of the top players in the country. And uh, so, so it was probably more important this year um, and, and, and I'm telling you, he just, he just took it. He said, yes, coach, um, I see what you're talking about. I'm going to fix it. it. It wasn't combative. It wasn't um, dismissive. He, he saw it. He recognized it. And, and you know what? Majority of times he had already seen it before we came into a meeting. So that tells me that he's looking at the film before we even watched it. 
uh, as, a, as, a, as a group, and he's invested. You've been around this game a long time, and you know how hard it is if you're a receiver who is targeted by defenses. He's a guy that everybody's going to target the last couple of years. So what was it like for him, you know, and how was he able to still produce despite receiving that kind of attention? Consistency, quite frankly. It was consistently film study. You know, Rutgers, it was either Rutgers or Illinois. They try to do a good job of trying to, uh, um, in some regards, bracket him by doing a jump jam at the line of scrimmage and then letting him go. And then somebody else would, would, would cover him. He recognized that. We recognized that. He made adjustments accordingly. Um, so he's a he's he's smart. He's he's really bumped up his IQ, his football IQ. Excuse me. And so uh, yeah, it, it, he just stayed the course. He didn't try to force anything. He, he, I didn't have to worry about him. There's one game in 2020 where he didn't play very well, and he said beforehand, he goes, "I just don't feel it." Well, that was one out of, what, 20, 20, you know, 20, whatever, 21 games that I coached him that, that, that happened. So my point in this is, is he's ready to play each week. I don't have to try to have some rah-rah speech. I don't have to try to find something that's going to, you know, uh, motivate him more. He's motivated. He comes ready to play. He's mentally in the right spot. He's going to make sure that he, he keeps his body in, in, in the right spot. And another thing that is very impressive about him is that he practiced hard now. If you looked at his catapult numbers and looked at the, the amount of practice that he had, and he did not say, hey, coach, I, I need a break. He, he worked. He's a worker. So I credit his parents for that. He, he gets that from his dad. He obviously gets that from his mom, how much he's fighting and stuff. So uh, I just couldn't be – happier for him and I and I can't say enough good things about him and you bring up his parents and his mom who has had to deal and still deals with the breast cancer how hard is it for someone in his spot to you're focusing you want to be there for your mom you be there for your parents but also you've got to do your job over here did you what was that did you see him struggle with that at times or what was that how did you see that play out for him you literally would have never known uh the emotional control the mental toughness um, that he has to be able to go through some of the things that he was going through, he literally would have never known. You ask him about it, and uh, yeah, of course he thought about it, but um, that he, he has a great family support system. His dad's a rock, mom's a rock, and, and he just handled it, you know. I, I, I don't think there's really appropriate way if he would have had a breakdown. Breakdown, you know what? That, that's understandable. Uh, so I don't know if there's some appropriate way to handle it, but I know this: he would have never known, and, and, and he's motivated by it, and he just sounded like a professional. And then you brought up in 2020 the the play that a lot of people talk about is that one-handed catch against Ohio State. Just I think you know going up alongside one grab it snatch. I don't have to remind you what it was. Yeah. Just his hands, it's not like the only play he's done like that. He has really good um, uh, uh, reputation for being having that wide catch radius. But what makes him be able to catch some of those kind of passes and have that wide catch radius? You know, it's interesting. When, when, when um, that 2020 season, we first started going, he had some drops early on. I mean, whether it be fall camp, whether it be whatever. 
And then you just gradually just continue to see just improvement, improvement, improvement. Oh, a wow factor. Oh, geez, he caught that. That just goes to his competitiveness. If you look at the start of that route, he got jammed up pretty good, but he, he kept fighting. And I think it was back-to-back catches that he had that were pretty gosh dang impressive. And his body control is unbelievable. I mean, the, 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 the ball that he caught against Michigan State, where it was a goal ball right at the end uh, on the sideline, to the then snow. be able to, in the snow, to be able to know where he was at on the field, to be able to weep, to jump up with one foot. A lot of people, when you look at receivers, they jump up with two feet to go get the ball. He jumped up with one foot, came down, was able to maneuver his body in to get the to get the uh, touchdown. That just shows you his catch radius is, is, is quite large for somebody his size. And then the body control to be able to not just catch and go out of bounds, to be able to catch make that into a touchdown. And I was going to ask you about that play, too, because that was an impressive play. So how did he work on those? Because I think I remember seeing, reading something from you talk about shifty eyes from receivers. But how did he work on getting better at those contested catches? Because it, it does take some concentration there. Yeah, we, we drill it. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but that's something that, you know, you have to drill. You have to drill to be, to, to, to be so locked in whether you're on the sideline and you're worried about uh, are you going to step out of bounds, you got to stay locked in. Whether you're going across the middle and you see that safety coming down or that mic backer that gets a little bit gets a little bit of depth, you have to be so locked in on the ball that it does not matter. It's no different than you know a, a, a golfer who whose whose shot is lined by by a crowd. You have to be so locked in to 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 what you have to accomplish and. We drill it, and then he's just special. I mean, I mean, he is he's special. And then one of the things that Ron Rivera brought up, he said he felt like he had some Deshaun Jackson in him, I think, with the ability to track the ball. Deshaun was elite at that, but he had felt like Jahan had some of that, but also some Steve Smith in him. And you you had you were in the league for a couple of years in 05 and 06, one I think Carolina, and then also the Rams. You were around some really good receivers. What did you learn from those experiences, and what do you think about what – Ron Rivera said. Yeah, I mean, I could see the Steve Smith. You know, I had an opportunity as my rookie year when, when Steve was there. And then I went to uh, uh, the St. Louis Rams at the time and with Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. Right. Bruce the, 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 he has the explosiveness ability to be like a Steve Smith. Obviously, the, the, the size is, uh, um, you know, similar. And then the silky smooth route running of, of Torrey Holt. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, I mean, he he has a combination of those two. Like, you, you can't really tell, oh, 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 he just broke it off. Oh, shoot, he just got to 22 miles an hour. Oh, I did not know that. You know, so it, it's deceptive, but he has a, he has a, he has an explosive element to him that is just, um, it's just smooth. And then lastly, I know you got other stuff going on here. Um, sound like a plane to catch in a few minutes. But he, yeah. he, was, he kind of was looking at some of the NFL stuff after 2020, and he came back. Where did he improve yeah. himself the most in in that one year that turned him into a first-round pick? Yeah, I think that you saw um, – I think his situational awareness was, 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 was much better. You'll see a variety of times where he caught the ball, 
where some some receivers, especially young receivers, they catch it, they they turn and go upfield and they see a couple defenders and then they start working backwards. Jahan saw a couple defenders and we have a drill that we split to make one miss. So if there's one coming at him, he was trying to make a miss. If there's two, he was working working forward. And so you see a couple couple times where he caught the ball at 11 yards, went north, splitting two defenders, showing some physicalness to him, where he ended up having a 15, 16, 17-yard gain off of something like that. And then I think it's consistent play. It's just consistent, consistent, explosive third down route running. I think Coach Yersich and, and, and the offense did a pretty good job of displaying his ability to read coverages, his, his ability in the same exact play to have multiple different options. And he demonstrated that he knew what option to give uh, based on the based on what the defense was giving him. So, um, yeah, I, just consistent production that leads to being a great player. Taylor, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and good luck this season. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Taylor for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode either Sunday night or Monday morning when I'll share some more insight from people who know these draft picks well. I'll talk to you next time.